0: Mike Mike should stay silent. he just, he just... <laughs> good morning welcome to six eight uh, yeah christmas Christmas week kind of crazy um thanks for praying for us i some of you know that my dad uh uh had a fall and i had, uh, i was there when it happened and uh last night and so i we took him to the hospital. He's on a respirator now, and we're praying for him. pray for my mom, my mom is pretty broken up. Obviously, I would be if I were her, but I, I'm really grateful that the Lord had me there. I was just about to leave when it happened, so I just, I just think that is such a blessing for my mom that I was I was there able to help, so uh, thank you for praying. Continue to pray for us. Um, let me uh, pray before we get into this. Father, we thank you. We thank you that uh, even in the middle of Hospital visits and crazy times in our country, maybe, and all that kind of stuff, that there is still joy to speak of, that you uh, kind of resonate in the background of our lives very clearly sometimes and not so clearly at other times. But that underneath it all, even in tears, even in pain, even in confusion, we can have the joy of a Father in heaven who would go to the lengths of entering our history, walking out life with us, and going to the cross for us. The gospel itself is joyous. And we thank you that it's real joy. It's not joy that avoids it. It's not joy that kind of conjures a false sense of security or anything like that. It is joy that walks through the pain of life with us comes out the other side, truly test it. We ask that you would speak to us about that this morning, and that this would be a great, joyous Christmas, that even in all the craziness, you would speak loudly to our families and to us and to our neighbors about who you are this Christmas, that it would become more real for us, and maybe real for the first time in other's people's lives around us. We thank you for that, and in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, ugh, we have uh, a memory verse. Anybody brave? Anybody brave enough to try our memory verse? We have, who did we have last night? Rob, last time, Rob Granholm got a, got a coffee card. Okay, I have three coffee cards up here. I guess I'm going to enjoy these at La Colombe, so... well. I, you know, I know it is daunting to get up to the, the microphone, but that's Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Great verse to memorize, just something to remember and keep, keep in your heart. Uh, we're going to start off today with a little video, so take a look. Time to make the donuts. Dunkin' Donuts are always fresh. I made the donuts. We make them at least twice every day. Time to make the donuts. Not a few kinds like supermarkets. Hey, the donuts. Time to make the donuts. But up to 52 varieties. The donuts. <laughs> Time to make the donuts. I made the donuts. Dunkin' donuts. Up to 52 varieties fresh day and night. No supermarket can say that. So. <laughs> my uh, my son Tanner called me, I think it was yesterday, I was driving home or the day before, and he said, I was like a block from my house, I had just been out all day driving around, he said, mom wants you to stop at Dunkin' Donuts and get us Dunkin' Donuts. And I said, I don't think mom wants me to do that, I think you want me to do that. And he goes, no, really, mom does. And I said, well, I'll come home soon, you can have the car if you want to go get Dunkin' Donuts, so. So our family is a lover of Dunkin' Donuts. Now, if you're under, you're you're below 30, you understand that commercial cognitively, but not experientially, because you still think that you can conquer the world, right? Ask any child what they want to be when they grow up, and it's never something small. It's not like I want to be an accountant. You know, it's like not like I want to drive a truck. It's something giant and huge, and you know, whatever. It's something great. So I'm here today, if you're under 30, I'm here today to crush your little dreams, right? But I will replace it with a better one. See, those of us past our 30s who've uh, already, you know, gone into those years, already feel that we've settled, we've succumbed to the monotony of life, the, the drudgery. It's time to make the donuts. We know that saying, right? We know what that feels like. If you're old enough to remember those commercials from... uh, With Fred the Baker, that's who that is, by the way. You know why that commercial resonates and all the other ones like it is because we've lived it, right? We know that. We feel it, right? Life just seems to roll over us, right? And we eventually get stuck in the day in, day out uh, monotony of life, you know, and and life's necessities. Um, Our upward trajectory in life, you know, seems to get interrupted by. Uh, you know, a crashed stock market or a divorce or a death or some other trauma or just the responsibilities of work, of family, of kids and all that kind of stuff. I just saw this great cartoon, this lady, I think it's the woman that draws it, uh, of this couple. Uh, She's a cartoonist and they had a baby and then she starts drawing pictures. You moms are going to love this if you look it up. It's like on the news app, you know, just find that but, it, but just all the things, how your life changes when you have a baby, all those responsibilities, all your creativity goes out the window, all your aspirations of greatness get, get lost, right? After you have babies, you've got to make the donuts, right? you just got to keep making the donuts. Um, when we were young, we thought that we would accomplish great things. We really did. We'd go down in the history books. You know, be, we'd be referenced in you know, coming generations, citing our thoughts and our words and our accomplishments and all that stuff, which you know, had changed the world by this point. We'd make our first million by the time we were 30, and we would have written that book already, but the book never came, and we're just living in debt, right? Into my early, early 20s, I thought I'd be a great artist. Right, I, I I thought I'd produce paintings that would hang alongside the great, so you'd see Picasso and Van Gogh and Da Vinci and Guines. <laughs> right, I'd be up there, but you know, my work would be referenced, it would be categorized, it would be sold for millions of dollars to museums and you know to rich people on through Christie's auction house. And my paintings, you know, would would lend great philosophical insight to the world and change history. And then reality set in me. I could draw and paint maybe better than the next guy. Not, not Chris Nixon, obviously. He's better than me. You know, I could probably draw or paint better than the next guy, but I had my limits. I wasn't a great artist. Uh, my paintings uh, adorn my walls and not a museum's, right? There's some adorn here because I'm the pastor, so I can put them up, right? Um and all those promises of just work really hard and make your dreams come true never added up to a life worth talking about, so to speak, right? Factors to fame and greatness were largely out of my control. And add to that the necessity of making a living. You you have to make money, you know, to survive. you got to make the donuts. And so I'm very aware that when I die... Few will talk about me after I'm gone, you know, they might talk for a little while, and then I'll be forgotten, like all the rest of us. I'll go down into the annals of silence, like all the multitudes that have gone before me. I'm nothing special, and so to speak. Very few in the world attain to greatness or great fame, and living on the main line is very deceptive, right? You drive past these mansions in Gladwin, uh, if you live in one of those, that's fine. I'm just saying, you know, we, 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 we kind of jones after that sometimes. We park next to a Bentley at Acme, right? And, you know, a, house, a car worth more than my own house. And you kind of think, where did I go wrong? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, not everybody in, 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 the, in the country has those kinds of cars driving around their neighborhoods. We do. And we may feel a little past our prime. You know, I have Spanish speakers living in my house right now, but the peak of language learning ends at eight years old. <laughs> I am 44 years beyond that. Brain processing power peaks at 18. The ability to remember unfamiliar names peaks at, at, about, at, at about age 22. And so all you new people, when I ask you your name three or four times, you know, in three, four, three or four Sundays in a row, that it's not me. It's not my fault. It's science. I'm off the hook, right? Women are most attractive to men at 23, and men seem to, to get better with age. Their attractiveness grows. Now, that sounds terrible for the ladies and wonderful for the guys. I thought, well, maybe that's a good one for me, but really, maybe, maybe guys need that advantage, that edge for you guys to put up with us all those years after we get married to you. You know, I don't know. Interestingly, life's satisfaction uh, first peaks at age 23, and then again, at age 69. My theory on that is that, you know, for the former, for the younger, you have, you know, all the money and you have no responsibilities, right? So life is great. For the latter, it's because you've retired, you have even more money and no responsibility, and usually about that time of life, you lose your sex drive, so you don't have to worry about all that stuff. It may be less complicated. I don't know. Strength peaks at age 25. That's why my Sons can beat me at arm wrestling now, which is kind of a hard thing to admit. The peak age to settle down is 26, but we push way beyond that in America, don't we? The average uh, sort of elite marathoner is age 28. Uh, Bone mass peaks at age 30. Chess players peak at age 31, believe it or not. You're not, you're, you're, You're best at learning new faces at around age 32. On average, Nobel Peace Prize winners discover their great thing at age 40, Good news for us older folks, though, is that your understanding, your understanding and, and you know, uh, grasp of other people's emotions peaks in your 40s and 50s, so you, you do know something, right? Math skills peak at 50, vocabulary peaks at, uh, in your early 70s, men and women feel best about their bodies after 70, which is, you know, has a lot to do with my former theory. People uh, do really get wiser as they get older. And psycho- psychological well-being peaks at about age 82. And they say that people are most likely to make big decisions when their age ends with a nine. So uh, maybe we're, we're scared of coming to those round number birthdays, right? I remember my 40th birthday and my 50th birthday, right? Researchers looking at people that were 29, 39, 49, and 59, things like that, You know, found that they were more likely to make a big life change, either good or bad, at that moment, and they were overrepresented in groups that, you know, um, of people seeking to have an affair, or sometimes committing suicide, or or sometimes trying to run a marathon for the first time. It all sounds sort of depressive, (laughs) right? Are we past our prime? Let me ask you this: Can Jesus still do great? works in and through you. Yes. No matter what you know point you're at in life, even if you're quote unquote past your prime. You may not write that book, but he will use you to bring forth Christ to the world in a unique way, and, and only your way, right? Remember this, your life matters to God. It's much more important than you even think. I say that quite a bit here, but it is true. It may seem that nothing wonderful is happening right now in your life or, or has even happened, that, that God's not really moved in you or through you or anything like that. But it, ver- it very possibly has, and you may not even have noticed it. And it definitely will happen in the future. He'll work through your very real, physical, everyday circumstances and mundane day-to-day events. And today we're going to look at a simple story of a woman who, uh, in, in which this has happened in her life. Turn with me to page 697 in your church Bibles, page 697, and we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1, third book in the New Testament, Luke chapter 1, page 697, and just kind of keep your finger there, and we're going to look through that at different points today. Um, I'd like you to think on that question as we talk today. Can Jesus still do something great in you? Right? Uh, we enter the Christmas story this morning after uh, Mary and Joseph have already sort of been confronted with the, the news of the pregnancy by the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, we saw last week how, how uh, you know, how that, that put them through a great deal as they said yes to the Holy Spirit and all that meant for them and everything else. And during the same time, around this time, the angel Gabriel also visited Zechariah while he was, vi- he was working in the temple. He was serving in the temple, uh, doing his priestly duties, and the angel informed him that his wife was going to have a baby as well. Um, and Zechariah was a little incredulous of this because they were both old. As a matter of fact, Luke chapter 1, verse 7 says, Elizabeth was barren. She couldn't have a baby right? And both were advanced in years. And then if you bump back to verse 6, it says, they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. It's a great description of a person. They seem to be people that were true to the word, uh, living their lives as a testimony and in pursuit of purity and holiness before God. People who have been living day in and day out, walking with the Lord, as hard as that is, we all know how hard that is, then or now, it is always sort of difficult to keep up with your your journey of faith. Life was probably very mundane for them. They were past their prime. It's very clear in the scriptures there, no one would have expected Elizabeth to conceive at this age, you could hear Zechariah almost saying, I've got to make the donuts, right? As he goes into the temple to perform the duties of the priest that day, like he's probably done many times before this. Elizabeth's probably home just making a meal or whatever she's doing day in and day out as this comes upon them. Life as usual, right, until Zechariah is struck dumb in the temple there with this message that his wife is going to have a baby, and then Luke 1, 30, starting in verse 39 through 45, tells us what happens next. So just read along with me. Luke chapter 1, verse 39. Hi, sweetie. Gosh, how cute can you get? A little Christmas dress. It says, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb Now, if you jump back to the second half of verse 15, I think it is, speaking of the baby in Elizabeth's womb, which is John the Baptist, all right? It says he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, which tells us that it reveals to us this already intimate connection that John had with Jesus, even from within the womb. It's kind of crazy if you think about it. Something wonderful is happening. John's a special guy. It's prophesied in Malachi that the prophet Elijah would reappear to usher in the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Christ, the coming of Jesus, right? And Luke 1.17 refers to this prophecy in talking about John. It says, and he, John, will go before him, Jesus, right, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now Luke's quoting this prophecy found in Malachi 4, 5, and 6, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, you know, lending credence to this miraculous event and foreshadowing exactly who John and Jesus would, would be to the world. You know, today we look at Elizabeth and we celebrate femininity and we celebrate motherhood this week and, and people like her as we celebrated masculinity and fatherhood in, in last week in Joseph. Elizabeth says yes to the Holy Spirit, a faithful woman walking with the Lord who used her in a very powerful and great way. Women are beautiful, powerful beings created by God for for his glory. That's a wonderful thought, right? Reflecting that side of his nature to jo- as Joseph reflected you know, the, uh, the opposite to us you know, last week. She's life-giving. Like Mary, only she is equipped and then chosen to carry out her part in the story of God in this way. In the breakdown of John Paul II's Theology of the Body, Christopher West says this about Mary. He says, Mary fully illuminates the theology of a woman's body. In her, woman's body was literally, has literally become the dwelling place of the Most High God, heaven on earth. Isn't that a beautiful statement? Every woman, every woman shares in the, in, in, shares in the same way uh, in, in this incomparable dignity and calling. That's a, that's a wonderful thought. Women are the wonderful contrast to men who round out our image of God. We need them both. Think about the, the silence of Joseph and compare that with the raw, inhibited joy Elizabeth exudes here with Mary. She says, among other things, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb, exclamation point, right? She's, she's excited. It's that side of femininity that we absolutely see is absolutely reflective of God. It's beautiful. It's wonderful, it's powerful. We speak in extremes maybe to illustrate points. No one would say that all men are silent and unemotional and I'm not saying that. And I, I myself am a big loud mouth crybaby. You guys all know that, obviously. You see it every week. In many situations, my wife is definitely the more level-headed sort of non, non-emotive person in our relationship, I am much more. However, there is an innate difference in the two of us and I'm not trying to define them in certain ways. Divinely created, the two of us, divinely created and ordained, they both reflect God in some way who is spirit, who is male and female in nature. That's wonderful. Scripture starts with a wedding and ends with a wedding. You ever think about that? You ever think about all the the illustrations of male and female, the bride and the groom and the church and everything else going all throughout Scripture? There's something wonderful there. And that's what we celebrate. And Elizabeth, I think, here connects with such joy naturally and easily, which is commendable, and it's something that we can really learn from. How to just react to life in joy, even in the craziness of it. Right? On Christmas Eve, we're going to have our kids... Play out the Christmas story up here on the stage for us. That'll be so much fun. I'm very excited. To, I probably will not go perfectly. Just be aware of that. But that's okay. But moms, moms, I want to talk to you just for a second. Be encouraged that you birthed those little cherubs into this world. You went through all the pain and the I'm not telling you anything you don't know, right? You went through all the pain and the struggle of, of pregnancy to push that thing out of you. Right? God is redeeming your family one member at a time. He's doing a work in your kids through you. As you walk with the Lord yourself and you say yes to the Holy Spirit's leading, your kids will also become a herald of Christ in this world. He'll use you for it and He'll also use them in this life. We only, our responsibility as parents, as moms and dads, we need to be faithful in our pursuit of Christ and allow our faith to overflow into our children through, you know, uh, through what may seem as the everyday sort of mundane commitment to the, co- to the, the uh, commandments and statutes of the Lord like, like Elizabeth did. Your children's lives, this is, I, I want to say this very clearly, your children's lives can be better than yours. We all want that. They can be even more faithful than you have been. In a sense, you will still do great things through your children. Remember the prophecy of Malachi 4.6 concerning the coming Messiah when he says this, he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Now, does that mean that every single child is going to walk with the Lord perfectly, walk with Jesus perfectly? Not necessarily. I'm not saying that. But I do regard it as an overall promise that God shows favor to his children, and he works in and through and to build our families in light of our devotion of Christ. God cares about my kids. Turn with me to page 737 in your church Bible, to John chapter 14, page 737. John 14, we're gonna look at verses 12 and 13. John 14, verses 12 and 13. Let's remember Jesus' words to us here. He says, very truly I tell you, Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, I want to say really clearly that I think there is a sense of, of, of foreboding and negativity when we think about this world and our kids. My kids are wonderful. You may not like them. I love them. (laughs) No, I'm sure you do like them. My kids are wonderful. And I guarantee you, all your kids, we are like everybody in this church, when they bring those kids in here, we are so happy they are here. They are wonderful children. And I really do. I have hope for your children. This is not in the sermon, sorry. I have hope that your children are going to grow up and be wonderful, faithful kids in Christ they're going to be caring responsible adults that are going to do something wonderful in the world. I don't think they're all going to become drug addicts and you know whatever. They they're going to be wonderful people. Let's be let's be encouraged by that. Jesus is I believe in the process of redeeming us. I think our families get better and better the more we we follow the Lord in our lives, right? His work extends to our families and for the sake of God's glory through through Christ and us, right? Elizabeth has been faithfully walking blamelessly with the Lord and that doesn't mean she's been perfect. That doesn't mean she's sinless. It just simply means that she took her faith seriously concerning all areas of her life, you know, and, and she wasn't out for her own glorification but for the Lord's glorification. Maybe she knew that in the very mundane in and outs of life that God would move and, you know, and use her. All she had to do was be faithful and sort of receive the circumstances that came to her with joy, no matter how hard they were. Like Joseph last week, Elizabeth is also another model to follow. Even though we don't know that much about her, she is a model to follow. One who walks faithfully with the, uh, with, with the Lord and says yes to the Holy spirit with a joyful response. Turn now to page six sixty one six sixty one in your in your Bible there, and this is a very simple verse that we love to quote here at six eight matthew chapter six verse thirty three you know we get caught up in the day to day and life 's partly about the pursuit of need right, and our focus often becomes misdirected in that pursuit right in, in matthew six thirty three Referencing all the things that we chase after in life, you know, Jesus redirects us and he says, but seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. We, most often, we put the cart before the horse, don't we? It just means simply that our focus should be on Jesus and that we trust that all of our needs will be taken care of. Not that we don't, you know, go to work or hold responsibility. Sure, we do those things. But we see everything through the lens of a higher purpose and a higher calling as ambassadors of Christ. And we complicate it even further than simply being misdirected because. You know, beyond simple necessities, we tend to make life all about us, right? People in pursuit of their own greatness. We want our dreams realized. We want our name to be great, to make our name in history, to get our nest egg, to get our security. Turn to page 719. Last time I think I'm going to have you turn it anywhere. Turn to page 719 in your church Bibles. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. When faced with Jesus, we find that he expects something quite different of us. A different focus that is on his righteousness and on his kingdom, right? Jesus outlines, though, what it means here To focus on these things in John chapter 21, where where, where after his resurrection, he meets Peter on the beach. And it's a familiar story, but he says this, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. Oh, he probably said it really confidently the first time. Yes, Lord, I love you, right? You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. A little less confident this time. Take care of my sheep. Then the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt this time. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted, right? All of us in our 20s, our high school years in our 20s, we did whatever we want, right? But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would would glorify God. And then he said to him, "Follow me." When Jesus first asked that question, right? I've I've wondered this. Do you, Do you love me more than these? Was he like licking his fingers with like fish bones in the other hand, saying, Do you love me more than these? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like all the things that you chase after, you know, food, basic need, do you, do you love me more than these? Or was he waving his hand to all his friends gathered around there on the beach, you know, do you love me more than these? Or was he waving his hand to everything? I don't know. I'm not sure. But either way, we do know intuitively that it's an entreaty to make Jesus first in all things. That his life, when we come into Christ, his life becomes my life. His work becomes my work. As he said, whoever believes in me will do the work that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than this. Because I'm going to the Father. I'm going to the Father. So am I past my prime? <laughs> I'm 52. Got gray, distinguished. Has my life been a waste since I didn't, you know, fulfill my youthful dreams? Not at all. Have I been led by Jesus into places that I didn't want to go? Yes, I have. <laughs> right? Although that meant a great deal more for Peter than it has for me to this point. Will I continue to be used for God's glory? Definitely so, since it's not about my dreams. It's about his his glory in the world. It's about his kingdom and his righteousness. Does Jesus have other sort of even greater but maybe less noticeable plans for me? Great things that are happening in and through me that maybe I don't even notice and see? Yes, most definitely. Has it all been worth it? Yes. Yes. And probably more than I know. Probably more than I know. How about you? How about you? Do you really believe that he will use you to bring forth Christ in your unique way? Can God still do something great in and through you, even if you feel past your prime? Of course he can, right? Of course he can. We know the answer. So if you're below 30, allow Jesus to kill your dreams. Allow him, Jesus to obliterate your life. Obliterate everything that you hope for, and then adopt his dreams. Adopt his righteousness. Adopt a pursuit of his kingdom. If you're over 30, and you, know, and you feel like Fred the Baker, keep making the donuts for Christ's kingdom and Christ's righteousness, because God is working. Do the everyday work of caring for others, loving your neighbors, following Jesus, seeking first his righteousness, and all that stuff. And I assure you, he will use you to introduce Jesus to other people. Say yes to the Holy Spirit. Say yes. And find the same joy that Elizabeth did when the Spirit leaps inside of you as you see Christ at work in somebody else. That's the best feeling. In the world, it's better than having my painting, you know, bought and hung in a museum. Let me pray for us, Father. I love you so much. We love you. 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 No matter what happens, no matter what you call us to, we lay down our lives for you, as you laid down our li- your life for us. Thank you so much that you are our model, that you use great women like Elizabeth to show us how to react, how to walk, how to live this out. Come and convict us, Lord Jesus. Convict us that this is really about your righteousness and your kingdom in this world. We want to walk that out well. Yes, Lord, we just invite you. We invite you into our midst. Speak to us, Lord. Thank you.